This is the end. Beautiful friend. What's that sound? R- Rob, Rob, is that you singing? <clears throat> oh, sorry. Um, yes, it was. I didn't know you were there, David. Hello. Hello. Um, that's an interesting choice of song. It's almost as though the season finale of Class has just happened. You'd think that, and you'd actually be right. We've just watched it, haven't we? We've literally just watched it as soon as it came online in Australia. We've watched it this time. Yeah, for those of you at home, we uh, normally watch this usually on a Saturday night, sometimes on Sunday morning, and then record the podcast sometime on Sunday. But today we are here on Saturday night, just after it's been on iView, and we're we're ready to go because, well, you've got to go somewhere tomorrow. But that was also a big episode. Yeah, look, I, I do have to fly to New Zealand first thing in the morning, but it. I actually was quite keen to see the finale, as I think a lot of fans were. Now, Rob, this was a pretty big finale. It was, yes. (laughs) I I think we have to say that um, this isn't just the ordinary run of spoilers we're going to be covering in this episode. This is, you know, series-level spoilers. Yes, if you've not seen the episode, please just turn off now. You'll thank us for it later. Yeah, yeah. No, so in that vein, I'm thinking... Let's let's go a little bit Stephen Moffat here Ooh. and do our episode in reverse. So let's start with our mark, okay. explain why and go through the episode, and then we can do our news and tweets and discussions because I think discussing the episode first mm-hmm. will actually give a lot more context to the discussions we want to have. All right, I'm game. Okay, let's do it. Who goes first? <laughs> Well, I comes before K in the alphabet, so you should go first. <laughs> okay. Well, we literally have just watched this episode. I'm still decompressing from it, still forming thoughts in my head. However, we need a score. I'm going to go with eight and a half out of ten. Okay. So, not the best, but up there. Not the best, because I have given an episode, in fact, last week's episode, I gave a 9 out of 10, but it is the second highest of the series that I've given. Okay. Well, I wrote down what I had in my gut. Mm. I then put it through the analytical process, Yes. and I'm sticking with my gut. I'm giving this a 10, Rob. <gasps> really? There's, there's actually nothing in this episode I would have done differently. Okay. So... There was teen angst, Dave. There was teen angst. (laughs) Yeah, but I wouldn't have done it differently. I thought it was was in... Had they not been angsty in this episode, it would have been a problem. Right. So I can't really fault it in that sense. There there are some things that we will discuss, but it absolutely sucked me in. It punched me in all the right ways. I'm going to end the series with a 10. Wow. That's really cool. I'm, I'm so happy about that, actually. So am I. Yeah. I think we have to start with the fact that this was a episode that lived up to what we've been saying is perhaps the biggest strength of class, mm-hmm. uh, or, or class, as others last week may have said. <laughs> yes, if you caught the uh, the Doctor Who show, folks, you'll know why we're saying that. Please go and listen to the episode if you haven't. Small plug. That's right. But I, I've, I've certainly felt, I think you agree, Rob, mm-hmm. the biggest strength of class as a series is its, is its willingness to absolutely throw its punches, absolutely go where other series perhaps wouldn't, certainly where Doctor Who couldn't. Yeah. And this episode really, really did that. There are times where I'm going, no, they can't go. They've gone there, and they've gone there again, and they're not pulling back, and there's no silver lining at the end of it. This is just full-on, dark, nasty punches. 
Yes, and I think we talked about this way back when we were saying what the strengths of the show could be insofar as having all new characters who we're not um, beholden to, who we don't know anything about, who can be bumped off at any time. And obviously some people were bumped off in this episode, and it looked like some others would be, to, yeah. the, to the point where I'm looking down my, my notes here, and halfway down I've written, no series two, question mark. Yeah. I was yeah. thinking... Oh my God, I think they're just going to make this a one-off. That's why no one's been talking about a series two. It's designed as a one series thing. Yeah, I genuinely thought for a while there they were going to do the Blake 7 exit. Yeah, yeah. And, and actually have the entire cast on the ground at the end. I was genuinely, it was genuinely in my mind yes. that it could have gone there. Yeah, me too. And um, when you're invested in a series enough that you genuinely believe not just a main character, but your entire cast could be wiped out. I think that that's a real credit to a series, and a lot of series wouldn't be brave enough to even hint at that. Like, And you wouldn't believe it if they tried it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly right. Conversely, the other fear I had slightly before it got really dark was, oh my God, is Capaldi going to turn up and save the day? <laughs> Yeah, and I found myself desperately hoping that wasn't the case because, Same. I thought it, yeah, it, it would have just. I, I I just had this horrible vision of suddenly the Murray Gold Doctor Who action music swells in and the TARDIS arrives and Peter Capaldi comes out and makes a witty retort and suddenly everything's okay and I would have gone no yeah was it all so I'm so glad they didn't do it yeah and and I think classes for the better that they didn't. Yeah, it was a real fear of mine. You know, I'm, I'm increasingly wishing he wasn't in that first episode, and I was really scared he was about to show up in this one. Yeah. Well, <laughs> where so, do we go? What can we say? It's it's still sinking in for me as I'm looking down at these notes. I mean, well, let's say what happened before the credits. And I tweeted this, and you, you caught the tweet. <laughs> I said something like, David's going to be really upset even before the credits start, because one of your favourite characters died. <laughs> Yeah, out of nowhere. Yeah, and and that was that was a real shock. I I I'm sitting here watching it alone. Oh, sorry, Juliet, if you count the cat, almost alone. <laughs> and I, I I shouted out loud, "Bloody hell!" Yeah, <laughs> it absolutely caught me. And, and 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 again, we're so attuned to series pulling their punches that I was waiting for Ram to like sit up in bed in a cold sweat or for the it to be found out that it was a premonition or something. And mm. it took a few seconds for me to go, no, this has happened. They've just killed his dad out of nowhere. And, you know, it doubly caught me by surprise because just before it happened, his dad was saying, you know, I'm trying to make you a better soccer player or something. And I, my mind was caught up in, oh, his dad's a bit different this time. He's being a pushy dad for a change. Oh, isn't that? Oh, my God, he's been stabbed. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I thought, okay, this is where it's going. It's going to be the ram coming to terms. No, no, they've killed <laughs> his dad. And and I've got to say, the reaction of the actor, um, whose name escapes me. Uh, Fadi L. Oh, I can't think of his surname. Fadi. Fadi. We'll call yeah. him Fadi. His performance over the next, well, the rest of the episode was absolutely brilliant. He emoted spectacularly, but 
I thought believably. Did, did it work for you? Yeah, he just wanted to run away, which I think is extremely natural. I think is what most people really would do in these situations because mm. we aren't superheroes. We're not going to, you know, go out and start fighting people with our bare hands, and that's something Tanya does. We might get to that in a minute. Uh, yeah. Which maybe even his comment, even his comment that um about how do I explain to my mum that dad just got killed? Yeah, that was such a real comment that made me go, yeah, that would that would be the first thing we were all thinking, how do you go and tell people this? Yeah. How do you break the news of it? And I thought it was very effectively done. Absolutely. In real life, your first thought is not to run off and fight the monsters. It's to, you know, to share the bad news with people, to run and hide, to, to do all the things he was doing. So, yeah, that was very realistic, actually. And, and it's worth saying, while we're discussing the cold open, I thought that the effectiveness of the shock was even more so because we have a couple of really kind of cheesy bits first. You know, there's Quill lying on the bed, clearly pregnant, and I'm sort of going, oh, that's right. Rob said she was pregnant. Robert was right. Yeah. (laughs) And then there was that really cheesy bit where April plays the, you know, folk song on the violin, and it's a little bit awkward, and it's a little bit weird, and I'm going, oh, this is very cheesy. Oh, my God, they've killed the dad. Yeah. <laughs> the singing was a bit different. Like, we, we know she can play the violin, and I thought that's what she was going to be doing, but then she started singing, though, at first. And uh, the, the song, the last, it was quite spooky. And I thought, ooh, this is, this is not boding well. Something's going to happen. I didn't expect that to happen, and for it to happen so soon, though. Yeah, so it was very effective. And what I found was for the rest of that episode, that's set the tone. So I don't know how you go in stuff like, horror movies or thriller movies but i certainly try to preempt the shock by keeping an eye out for it and kind of bracing myself mm. for it so every time somebody said i love you or every time there was a a shot of them panning around to see what was behind them i was ready for the shadow king to be there or, or something and so i spent the whole episode in this kind of state of emotional readiness which is a very great way to watch a piece of drama because you actually are absorbed so that opening completely brought me into everything yeah get you very involved that's for sure Mm -hmm. so um one complaint i'll make early on though yes it's it's a minor one but once again i couldn't quite understand some of the shadow king dialogue yeah i would agree there are a few sentences here and listeners you'll have to excuse the email notifications the um, Ace class discussion thread is obviously going nuts on Facebook right now. Hello, Ace so, people. So I'm, I'm getting a lot of Facebook alerts coming through, so please excuse that. Oh, that's right. I tagged you in a post, didn't I? I'm sorry. <laughs> that's what it'll be, but that's all right. I'm sure our listeners will understand. Rob, what other thoughts do you have about the, the sort of the first part? Oh, look, I, I think just what we're saying, it, it set it up to be dark and anything's going to happen here. We've already bumped off the dad. Uh, we saw Charlie and Mateus, their relationship maybe not going so great. We saw Charlie with April hanging out and her giving him a big hug. It, it's the first time I've sort of re- recall them being sort of close. It was like things were changing. There was change in the air. Something was happening. It felt different. It was like, gosh, what's that Harry Potter book uh, where you start reading the book and it's the summer holidays and Harry is lying in a flower bed and he's really annoyed at the world and it just didn't feel like any other Harry Potter book before. Do you, can you remember that Harry Potter book? It's years since I read it. I, I do. I think it's around about the fifth one, but I, I, I must admit I've 
seen the movies a little bit more than I've read the books, I, I confess. So Yeah. I, I, it, I, I know the one you mean, though. It kind of gave me that feel as, as when I was reading that Harry Potter book. You know, of course, we have the uh, the knowledge that this is the last episode of the series, possibly the last episode of all time if things don't go well. So you're expecting something to happen, but at the same time, there was just this different vibe around the opening scenes, like different things were happening and uh, Tanya was disconnected from the group, you know, and not answering calls and uh, everything had changed since the last few episodes. That that was my take on, on the opening of the this episode. Yeah, so, so two points I want to make in response to that. The, the first is absolutely, I, I definitely caught that vibe and it, it was a very effective vibe that people had moved on and characters had moved on. And, and I think I've, I've heard in some of the reviews of class over this last seven weeks, people saying that the characters don't seem to be changed or affected by what happens. And, and I'm look, people can have their own opinions and see what they see, but I'm really surprised by that because I do think that the characters do react emotionally to what has happened. And we're seeing that very much here where, the more mature characters, Charlie, April, have sort of come together and they're coping in one way. Ram's coping in a different way. Tanya's coping in the way you would expect somebody who's a few years younger to cope. Mm. And so I did think that the characters did feel like they've moved in the right direction, in a, in a very natural direction. Um, the one negative I had, it's probably the biggest negative I've got tonight, and it's not about this episode, but it's about the series. If I could have it all over again... I would swap episodes six and seven because I thought having the quill episode in in the middle meant I had to sort of go back and remember where all the children or all the younger kids ended up at the end of their little bottle episode. Oh, yep, yep, okay. And, and I think it would have been better if we'd had Quill's standalone adventure, let her do that. Then we'd had the episode with the children in the classroom. Mm-hmm and lead straight from their falling out in that episode into this one. I think that actually would have flowed a bit better. Yeah, it would have taken a little bit of tweaking with the pregnancy reveal and stuff, but on the whole, it could be done. And yes, yes, it sort of reminds you why they're like this at the start of the episode. It's actually, I was going to say, it's actually a good point that you bring that up because maybe that's why it did feel so not discombobulating that's probably too strong a word but just why it did feel so different at the start of this episode because i'd almost forgotten what had happened two weeks prior and why everyone was like this you know um it's exactly that's exactly it yeah yeah so that that's a that's an excellent point yeah that's why i felt that way yeah yeah on, on a plus though i did note down here that mateus still has some really good lines and quill still got some good lines as well so the dialogue did flow and those little one-liners decreased as things got more serious. But once again, I'm wondering why Matthias was never advertised and billed as part of the main cast, because he felt one of the key characters in this. He has felt a key character all the way through, and, you know, we've been waiting for him to be bumped off, <laughs> and he still yeah. hasn't been. I noticed on the uh, the Blue Box podcast where J.R. Southall's talking to a bunch of kids about class recently, he keeps teasing to one of them who hasn't seen them all that the uh, the Polish boy gets bumped off. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it was obviously a real a real thought of ours, you know, that there may be a character who does get bumped off. They're not often in the credits because they do get bumped off. But no, he survived. Was it a red herring all along or was it just uh, something else? No idea. But he's uh, obviously there for the next series if there is one. Yeah, but it certainly worked in the climax because 
I was ready for it to happen. I genuinely believed his life was at threat. And this is, again, an advantage that class has over Doctor Who, because if that had been a companion, mm. you wouldn't really believe the companion's about to be just quickly bumped off, certainly without a media release to let you know it's coming. Yeah, exactly right. So that that ability for it to be that flexible means that you are more tied into the drama. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, again, we spoke about this at the start of the show. You know, I sat there through it all thinking, are they going to do a wild bunch? Will they all end up dead at the end? Um, wow. This is this is actually tense television for me. And that's so rare because, as you say, in Doctor Who or many other shows that I watch, you just know what's going to happen before it happens. And that, that you enjoy the stories, but the, the actual feeling of tenseness isn't there. And what are they going to do? Here, it was very, very genuine. It was and probably one of the very few shows, as you say, that's done it. Uh, I compare it to a, a fairly unknown show, I think, which is a show called Scream, which is actually a spin-off from the movie franchise. Okay. I've not seen this. No, it's it's only been on a, one of the smaller networks in the US. It gets about a million viewers. It's had a couple of seasons. But in that one, the regular cast are actually quite frequently bumped off. It really is one of those shows where anyone can die. And so the tension's actually very, very effective. Interesting. I'll have to catch up with that one. Anyway, moving anyway, on. Anyway, moving on. Uh, uh, I was on. I was going to raise Quill. You mentioned her a moment ago as having some good lines in this. I thought, again, she was more relatable, more human almost. Tanya even had some lines about her, like, you know, what's different about you? You, you haven't got your, you know, your sassy one-liners or whatever she said. I think in this episode, Quill turned into a bit of a Buffy character. Okay, keep keep going on that. <laughs> Particularly in the fight scene in the library, uh, where she saved Tanya's brothers. You know, now she can she can fight, she can do all this stuff, and she can really do hand to hand combat really well. And I was thinking, hey, look at this. She's sort of the outsider who can do all this hand to hand stuff. She's kind of like Buffy, and you know. We've made a Buffy reference every episode. That's my Buffy reference for this one. Quill reminded me a bit of Buffy. And um, the only downside to that was that she then had to teach Tanya in hand-to-hand martial arts and, and must have done a very good job because Tanya was an expert after about, oh, I don't know, two minutes tuition. Yeah, I did think it was a little bit cheap that the training consisted of move your leg like that, your arm like that, your elbow like that. Good, now you're in training hand-to-hand combat. Well done. Yeah, and you can take on these Shadowkin warriors who have swords, and and you'll be fine. Yeah, look, I, I, I guess they were trying to play a bit on the rage and the emotion that Tanya had, and mm. that didn't quite come through perhaps as effectively as it could, but look, we were barreling towards the climax by then, so I get it. An interesting juxtaposition, too, that the jock is the one running away, and it's the youngest who is doing the fighting, I guess. I guess that was deliberate. Oh, yeah, okay. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yes, yes, I thought I thought Quill was the Buffy of this episode. We've, we've got to mention Buffy every episode. It's, <laughs> it's what we do. Well, my Buffy reference was actually going to be one to the end of Series 4, and particularly the episode The Yoko Factor, because this, again, had a bit of that feeling of the gang being split up and then coming back together, although this didn't quite get there. Hmm. But... Certainly those emotional points, again, felt like season four of Buffy. Yeah, absolutely. To me, anyway. Shall we talk about the governor's subplot? Well, this takes us right to the end of the episode, but yeah, let's mention it now. Before we get to the big climax, I think we should touch on it. 
Yeah, well, look, what what did you want to say about them? Uh, do you have any idea what 1017 is? No idea. Okay. <laughs> I thought you might, but that's okay. I guess we're going to find out. Yeah, it's... Uh, I mean, shall we talk about the Weeping Angels now? All right, let's go there. All right. I was not expecting that. <laughs> I think is probably the first thing I want to say. Out of all the things that could have been behind that door, the ever upward reach uh, staff door, well, not only was there that whole cloister, which was quite interesting, you wonder if they've got some kind of uh, transcendental, um, you know, sort of thing going yeah. on there. But weeping angels? They, they need ever upward reach to uh, arrive on Earth because they refer to it as the arrival, I think. Is, is is that what I think it is? Is it sort of well, an invasion or...? I don't know, because I wondered if they were just the facilitators for something even bigger. Ah, like the, the, the slaves of another race, perhaps, or something, are you thinking? Uh, yes, yes, sort of like Frontier in Space, where you think it's the Master and the Ogrons, and suddenly it's the Daleks. Uh, that was kind of how I read it, but maybe uh... I was overthinking it there. Um, partly I was a little bit amazed to see Superintendent Adam Akaro rock up but oh um yeah the um the, the the speaking part in in the cloisters was actually uh, one of the main characters in the bill for part of the latter part of its run and he also here's the doctor who link he was a key character in um russell t davies most recent series cucumber oh okay i've not seen that was it good no that's yeah it's actually quite good it's the only russell t davies series i've ever seen where the ending is good so <laughs> And that includes Doctor Who, I imagine. Uh, that's a topic for another day, but yes. <laughs> yeah, so look, um, the governors, they've got uh, a lovely little cloister there. Um, Dorothea was obviously, uh, well, is she dead at the end? Well, yeah, so let's let's have this conversation. Behind that door went in a direction we totally weren't expecting. Mm -hmm. And more than anything, this laid out the concept that there is a whole further arc of plot to go down. And this, to me, felt very Babylon 5, in that suddenly there's an event or a insight that completely twists the whole narrative and realises that what we thought was going to be the path is actually a completely different path and there's a whole new layer unveiled. And that was brilliantly done, I thought. Yeah, look, as I, as I said, halfway down my notes, I've got no series two, question mark. Uh, but at this point, it's it's desperately obvious there's scope for a series two and they want to do a series two. If, if it was designed as a one series thing, I don't think they'd be bringing this up at all. The governors just would have been left this shadowy thing that we never knew about. They would have killed off the characters and that would be the end. But no, there, there is clearly something at hand here. And, uh, oh, it's well, very exciting. <laughs> This is more than just one of those movies where you can tell they want the franchise because they wrap up the entire plot, but then they say, oh, hang on, here's something else, and we could all go off and have another adventure together. Yippee! And you think, okay, they're laying it down for the sequel. Or, or even a, a Marvel movie where they have the little Easter egg at the end where it's like, in the next movie, we might go over here, mm. or we might play with this plot device. This was actively engaging the entire a plot in the setup of a further a plot so 
if they are not certain that they're getting a second series, it is an incredibly courageous decision to have the entire episode hinge on the setup for another season. Yeah, unless they want to do some novels, perhaps. <laughs> well, that that could be true. Maybe they're angling for a big finish license. Indeed, indeed. They'll make audio of anything. They will. They absolutely will. Tales of the Riverbank, the big finish specials. <laughs> Now, before this, obviously, Charlie ended up using the Cabinet of Souls. He shot April. So many things happened in that final scene. I thought it was really well done. The, the way you had the, the Shadowkin frozen and Charlie saying, you know, once once we start this, they're going to come for me. And Quill's like, I'm going to defend you. She's got the gun out. It's all very exciting. But, um, but of, of course, it starts with the, the shooting of April. So... I'll ask you, were you expecting that to actually happen? No. Mm, me either. I thought something would save her. Yeah, absolutely. I, I did it as well. And a- again, the only really reference that I have for it is the finale of Blake 7. I thought, you know, one major character effectively killing the other. That's a, That really is the only reference I've got for it. And it was so brilliantly done, but... I'm using a lot of hyperbole in this review, you can tell. Mm. What I liked about it, and again, we need to contrast with Doctor Who, and I think that's a fair contrast to make. Yeah. Doctor Who is all about making the right decision in every sense of the word. This was about making the right decision that is not necessarily the good decision. I think Charlie made an absolutely understandable, justifiable predictable if you like natural realistic decision was it the morally good righteous decision that you'd expect from doctor who absolutely not but if anything was more convincing because it wasn't and because these characters are flawed and they are real and so when they do these things when they are actually motivated by desperation and vengeance and rage and sorrow you buy it far more than you would if they were somehow better than us. Yeah. Yeah, they can they can absolutely get away with it. That's that's for sure. And and looking back and thinking about it and and when I rewatch I'll I'll take more notice of it. April gave her consent to this and said it was okay. You know, it had to be done. So I think those words and that hug will will resonate a bit more now that I know what's going to happen. Yeah. I think I'll pay a bit more attention to... Not that I wasn't paying attention, of course, but I think it'll just... I think I'll feel differently when I see those lines again um, when they'll, I rewatch. They'll take, they'll take on a deeper significance yeah. in viewings, I think. Yeah. Now, related to that, though, and I mean, April, my favourite character, got shot and killed. However, she's woken up in the Shadowkin body. And I thought, oh, no. <laughs> no. Why couldn't she have just been left dead? Did did you think about that or, or feel that or, or have any yeah, thoughts on that? Yeah, just a little bit, just a little bit. If, if I was to take a mark off for anything, it would be that very last line. But I guess because we don't know the intent there, mm. um, I'll give it the benefit of the doubt for now, maybe. Yeah, I, I just... If there is a series two, it's got to be partly the quest to get April back in her body. I, I doubt we can have the Shadowkin running around with April's voice for very long. It would get a bit old. Um, 
And it, it, it just doesn't seem that interesting to me. It's not as interesting as actually killing off the character and having her gone. No matter how much I love her as a character, you know, it just would have been so much more powerful if that choice had to be made. Charlie had to shoot and kill her. And that's it for April. My God, that would have been more powerful than I think how it might play out. Yeah, there would have been a definite Kobayashi Maru moment there, wouldn't there? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I have been and always will be your friend. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think it would, it would, if if class went on to have two or three or four series, you know, everyone would always look back to that scene as maybe just a, a really pivotal moment. In oh my God, they had the balls to kill off a main character in the first series, you mm. know, in this way, and it set set up whatever happens in the future. I don't think that's going to be the case, though, which is sad. Yeah, and I wonder if it would have been hard to go into a second series with a quarter of your main cast, or at least your main teenage cast, gone. Well, there's the chance to bump up Mateus to the opening credits. There'd be a there'd be a hole in there for him to fill. Well, that's true. That is true. <laughs> now, of course, that leads on to the the scene I was mentioning, the Shadowkin of Frozen. Charlie says, you know, once I start making the cabinet of souls do its thing they're going to attack cool's going to protect them tanya is now a junior vampire slayer herself i thought that action scene was really fantastic it got a bit indiana jones with the uh, the end of the first indiana jones film with all the spirits killing the nazis um that's what it kind of reminded me of i don't know if it reminded you of anything like that but uh yeah, was... no 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 it didn't because in this case the main characters actually were doing something in the final scene as opposed to the first indiana jones movie where Indiana Jones actually has no effect on that entire plot or climax at all. <laughs> Don't look, Marion. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Had he not been there in that entire movie, it would have ended exactly the same. But no, I see where you're going, though. I see where you're going. Uh, but, yeah, no, it was it was totally engaging. I was wondering where it was going to go. I was waiting for the cheat again. And it shows how conditioned we are by modern drama. Mm. I was waiting for the cheat, and the cheat didn't come. What did you think the cheat might be? It could be that suddenly the Rhodia were reborn and renewed or he got his planet back or uh, it didn't have quite the effect on the Shadowkin that we thought it would. I just thought there'd be some feel-good cheat that we didn't get. Like it wouldn't have quite the effect, and that's when PCAP arrives. <laughs> yeah, or something like that. Yeah, 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 yeah that's right. Mm, yeah, uh, again, it still was a very big fear for me, even... Even almost at that point, even almost at the point, oh, oh my God, they're going to use the cabinet. Oh, Capaldi still might turn up and say, oh, that's not a good idea, kids, you know. <laughs> I'll wave my sonic <laughs> screwdriver, right. it'll fix everything. Yeah, that's right, that's right. And let's just be grateful we live in a world where they didn't do that. Yes. <laughs> Probably due to move on to the more uh, general and analytical points. Yes. Well, the, the news that we got this... Uh, this week, only about three days ago as we record this, is that Barb, who is not a lady but is the Broadcasters Audience Research Board in the UK, have released their TV player report, uh, obviously covering uh, BBC iPlayer and whatever other digital players they've got over there in the UK, for the four weeks that covered uh, the first two episodes of Class. And sadly, uh, according to reports, Class didn't make it into the top 50 uh, the top 50 kind of bottomed out around 185,000 viewers. So what we know for sure is in the UK, the first two episodes of Class have got under 185,000 viewers somewhere. But 
this isn't as bad as it seems because BBC3's highest rated program for this period only had 247,000 uh, mm. views. So it does seem that iPlayer maybe isn't as well watched as some people might think. I think uh, the biggest show on iPlayer only had about 575,000 views. That was not a BBC3 um, program. So out of a, a country of, I don't know how many are in the UK these days, only half a million people are using iPlayer to watch any of the shows, which makes me think that, okay, class maybe hasn't pulled in a lot of people for the first and second episode, but this isn't a very well-used service. No, I think that those of us who are fans of television generally, as are you and I, and I suspect most people who exist in the Doctor Who podcasting world, I think we do overestimate the viewing habits of others who are not so involved in their television. And certainly I, I know a reasonable number of people who will use iPlayer as a catch-up mechanism. I think the notion of using it to seek out and watch first-run television is still very much in its infancy. And so while this is a part of the picture, I think until we see class get its terrestrial viewing in the UK, certainly until we see it get its terrestrial viewing on BBC America, or I think it's being broadcast there, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. But not until yeah. Doctor Who comes back. Yeah, so until we see those uh, views, I don't think we have the full picture. And look, context, a few years ago in Australia, there was a drama that won a number of awards and it got 200,000 viewers on SBS. So mm. shows do get those sort of low, lower numbers. But it, look, look, it's not the figure I guess we were hoping for, but it is only a part of the picture. Yeah, I, I guess some people think, oh, well, Doctor Who gets 5 million, 6 million viewers, so th this must get at least oh, 1 million or 2 million, and when it, you know it's under 185,000, that does seem disappointing, but it's, it's a whole different beast in terms of what yeah. the show is and who the audience is and how it's been put out there. I think there's life in it yet, and I think some people have jumped a little prematurely on, oh, it's, it's, it's tanked, it's not done well. But, as you say, until it airs on BBC America, until it actually gets a proper TV viewing in, in the UK, it'll just pick up so many more viewers that way and I think has a, a, a much bigger life beyond uh, what some might have, you think, uh, it will have. Yeah, and, and we've got to remember that this is a transitional show and it's a transitional medium. Now, I cast my mind back to when digital television first went live here in Australia. Mm. And at the time, very few people had the digital televisions or the, the set-top boxes to access these new stations. But one thing that Channel 10 did here, which for those outside, Channel 10 is the, the channel that really aims at that 18 to 35 demographic. They immediately moved their nightly screenings of The Simpsons and Neighbours to their digital channel. Now, they got bugger all ratings initially, but they were the hooks that they wanted people to follow into the digital medium so there'll be something to encourage people there and it would grow as the service grew. I do kind of see class as being one of those hooks to get people used to this idea of using a, a digital online service. Mm. And maybe, you know, as a beach head, it's not meant to be, as you say, primetime Saturday night viewing. It's just meant to be a beach head that maybe starts to get a generation of viewers into the habit of watching television in this way yeah absolutely and just like in the old days when uh 
music labels let people record one or two or three albums before they started to pick up a following i think here is something rare it's not going to be something that's axed after two episodes that don't do well it's it's probably going to continue well at least that's my take we can talk about this in a moment it's probably going to continue and they're going to let the audience grow uh with it yeah i i get that feeling that that's it's, it's a very strategic move and um I think that strategy has yet to play out. And, and certainly I don't think we're going to get any definitive news. We'll put it this way. I don't think that they would make a decision to cancel the show until it's had its network screenings in the UK and America. They may make a decision to renew a show without that derby if they're happy with where it's going. But I don't think they'll cancel it without at least seeing how it does terrestrially. Yeah. And I mean, if they're anything like our ABC, or I think any of our uh, channels, actually, they probably have to have a certain amount of content made in the country. They've already established this show, established the characters. It it would probably be easier to continue it into a second series than, than perhaps axe it after one series. That That's my gut feeling anyway. Yeah. And it's certainly the show seems to be building a bit of a profile in social media, which, a- again, is a useful thing for a show to have to keep it alive um i've seen you know, articles about the show in on websites and the like that i wouldn't normally expect to see so it, it's getting known out there okay so you think there'll be a second series <laughs> if you'd asked me a few days ago i would have been 50 50 mm. having now seen the episode we've just seen uh, and this is precisely why i want to have the discussion in the order we have to, to have so overtly hinged your season finale on the setup for season two, surely you, as a series runner, you don't do that without a nod and a wink from somewhere. Surely. Yeah. Pat- Patrick Ness is invested in these characters. And if he generally thought this was going to be their swan song, wouldn't he have wanted to wrap them up? You know, still left some stuff open, but at least left them in a better place. Yeah. I, I agree. I think the intent is to have a second series. we just got to wait now until it's, <laughs> until it's announced. Yeah, I, I think so. And they may wait for the BBC America figures before they make that call. Uh, that's certainly been the case with a lot of series in Australia that haven't gone on ABC1 but are on ABC3. They often do wait for them to find their audience and react before they give them another series. It's not a strict annual thing, so... We are in a different era of television, mm. and I don't think we expect it to be like it's been for Doctor Who or other mainstream terrestrial shows where there's a season every year at a particular time and it's announced in advance. This, this, is a, this isn't the same beast. No, no, not at all. All right. We also have some comments from some listeners. Shall we get to those before we do our wrap-up? Yeah, Absolutely. All right. The first of these is from Radiant Baby on Twitter. She's also better known as Nicole from the Terminus cast, which is a great Doctor Who podcast that she does solo. Uh, Hello, Nicole. Uh, Hello, Nicole. (laughs) She says, To be fair about Quill letting her guard down for sexy times, there was the precedent of her flinging herself at Robot Guy too. This, That's uh, a really good observation that we did miss, so well done for picking that up. Yes, I think we were we were being very deep and philosophical about, oh, she's let her guard down, and oh, she's let this guy in. And, oh, no, she kissed the robot bloke, didn't she, a few, a few episodes earlier? Yeah, yeah, no, so yeah, there was precedent, so yeah, good call. 
All right. Uh, Karina Richardson-McCoy from the Ace Group. Hello, Ace. Again, uh, she says, listen to your podcast tonight. As usual, it was quite enjoyable. Thank you, Karina. Uh, She says, so I loved episode seven. I've always been a Quill fan. She was great in this. Thanks for confirming she was pregnant. I wasn't sure if that's what I'd seen. Balan was interesting. I'm sorry he died. His character was cool. But it makes sense that he did. I appreciated your discussion about the weapon backfiring. I hadn't remembered the incident with the gun in episode one. Anyway, I'm really keen to see how they wrapped this up. Well, <laughs> they've wrapped it up tonight. Absolutely. They wrapped it up big time. They wrapped it up with extreme prejudice, you might say. <laughs> Well, this comes back to our scores, doesn't it, on this uh, wrap-up episode. I've given it eight and a half. You've given it ten. Yeah. What can we say? I think we can say about class that the things we were really fearful of have not eventuated. It hasn't been too teen angsty too consistently. It hasn't been said you're a monster of the week. It hasn't been too Dawson's Creek. And it hasn't had Capaldi come up and save the day more than once. Mm-hmm. So the things that would have really turned us off haven't come to pass. And that's a really big deal. What it has done is had a group of characters who, I don't think we can say every character's resonated with every viewer, but every viewer has found characters that have resonated with them and they've invested in and followed. Would you, would you say that's fair? Yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, for, for every time I've railed against stupid things Tanya said, I'm sure there are kids out there who are like, right on, Tanya is the most awesome person in this. Yeah, yeah, and there were times when you were really invested in April and I was perhaps more invested in Charlie, and that's fine. Everybody has found their, their not an identification figure, but the one that's resonated with them, mm. and the characters have been quite good. So the series... Are we at this point now of talking about the the series overall? I I think so. Well, the series has worked for me. I've I've enjoyed it. It's had ups and downs, but I've never hated an episode. I've enjoyed them all, and it's finished on a massive high with with some really good stuff in the middle. So, I think I can honestly say class has outperformed the expectations I had of it. Sensational. That's that's really good to hear. Uh, especially when you had that dip a few episodes ago where you gave it a fairly low score. I thought, ooh, is David wavering on this? But you've you've ended on quite a high, I think. Yeah, yeah, no, I absolutely have. For me, I looked at this, and as I said at the start of the show, I was still, I still am decompressing. I still am having thoughts about it. I want to watch the episode again. Uh, I thought about it, and I thought, is it a 10 out of 10 for me? No, it's not. Last week, I gave the episode a 9. Did it thrill me as much as that episode? It really didn't. From the point of view that this had a lot of action stuff and it had some lovely moments and, and all of that good stuff and, and certainly the intrigue of the Weeping Angels turning up at the end. But these sort of seem piecemeal bits and pieces. Once I deconstructed, I think, oh, well, I liked that bit and I liked that bit and I thought Tanya learning to be a vampire slayer was a bit stupid and oh, I wasn't sure about this angsty bit. And, mm versus last week where there was that concept of the reliquary and going to any place so long as it can be believed in that metaphysical story and and just how much that excited me. And this episode didn't excite me in the same way. It certainly intrigued me. It certainly made me say, wow, how about that? And made me think about series two and all of that good stuff. So it is it is a good episode, but it, is it a nine out of ten? Can I say it, it really wowed me as much as last time? And it, and it, and it doesn't. 
You know, if last week hadn't happened, I'd probably say, yeah, it's 9 out of 10, easy. But I, I can't in good faith when I've given 9 out of 10 to the metaphysical story, which thrilled me so much, whereas this one seemed like a lot of interesting bits and pieces, more so than one overall big concept that was just blowing my mind. And that's why I gave it 8.5 out of 10. Does, does that sound logical? I know it's not the score you're giving it, but does, can you see where yeah, I'm coming I- from? I absolutely see where you're coming from, and this is just, I think, an example of how some stories, rather than characters, can resonate differently for different people. Clearly, the metaphysical big idea stuff really worked for you, and it worked for me. It just wasn't as big, whereas the big emotional punches here worked for me a bit more than they resonated for you. And that just comes down to how it, it, it rests with an individual viewer. But I will say I really respect the fact that as a series, it's had these variations. Even if I haven't liked every single one of them or been, you know, 10 out of 10 for all of them, I've loved the variation the series has done and what it's dared to try to do. Yeah, like you were saying a moment ago, it hasn't been Monster of the Week every week. It hasn't been this. It hasn't been that. There's been such variety in only eight episodes you know, yeah. it's moved along at such a clip. I, I can't believe we're here at the end of, well, seven weeks, because obviously we had episodes one and two on the same weekend. Seven weeks of doing this, and, and it's all over, and we've seen quite a spread of stories, and quite, f- f- for me, genuinely, and I was saying this to uh, to J.R. Southall on uh, Facebook earlier, we have genuinely liked it. You know, a lot of people haven't, a lot of people have switched off, but we have genuinely invested in the characters, believed in their world, and really got into it. Even if we're not the uh, the demographic, we've still got into it, invested in it, and it's paid off. And that was a really great episode tonight. I think when people learn, Doctor Who fans, especially the, the Weeping Angels were in this episode, they might be a bit more intrigued and maybe might even come back and give this episode a, a look-see. I would be very interested to find out if some of those people who did switch off after a couple of episodes, for for, for entirely reasonable reasons, if they were to check out this final one and see if they thought any better of it or it still didn't work for them, I'm really looking forward to hearing some of those reviews come out over the next week or two. Yeah, me too, me too. Whether they're uh, podcasts or in print or just comments on Twitter, I'll be really looking out because I'm... I'm really keen. This is so fresh. It's only just aired in the UK and here. We don't really know what anyone's saying. No, no. We we are right at the cutting edge for this one, Rob. Oh, that's us, Dave. That's us. <laughs> but before we go, I just need to mention that today we launched the Goodies Pirate podcast. It's today, is it? It is. So the first two episodes are now out on iTunes or uh, via our Facebook page. So if you're interested, do check out goodies pirate podcast if you search itunes or facebook or twitter for that you'll find all the relevant links all right that's the end of our class episodes for the year it is it is i feel kind of sad we've still got some books to talk about but i don't know if we'll pull these episodes out to talk about them or put them on the uh the uh the library episodes of the show I, i think it'll come down to when we read them and how much we have to say about them perhaps yeah yeah, I've, I'm almost finished Joyride. I don't know if you've started any of them yet. No, I haven't had a moment to read anything in the last couple of weeks, I'm afraid. I'm looking forward to things starting to quiet down as Christmas approaches. And then we get to January where the entire country in Australia just shuts down for four weeks. So that'd be much better. <laughs> it certainly does. I think I'll crack through all of mine then. Yep. Until then, 
thank you so much for uh, joining me for class, David, for these past seven weeks. It's been good fun. It has been good fun. I hope the audience has enjoyed it as well. Absolutely. And if you've got any comments, do write in to us, hello at the dwshow.net, and we'll read them out, not on our class episodes, because there are no more of these, but on the main Doctor Who show every month. On that note, until then, goodbye. Goodbye. Well, there's the bell. The show's over. You've been listening to The Doctor Who Show Presents Class, the podcast where Rob and Dave from The Doctor Who Show review the new BBC series Class week by week. If you like what you heard, why not tell a friend? Why not visit our website at www.thedwshow.net or drop us a line. We're on Twitter at The DW Show, facebook.com forward slash The DW Show and email hello at The DW Show.net. Of course, you can subscribe to us on iTunes or listen to the episodes through the website. The Doctor Who Show and all of the programs on our feed are by fans, for fans, and are also free. That means free of charge and also free of adverts. We'll see you next time.